Verse 17 is where we're at tonight. First Samuel 17, appreciate having the teenagers with us tonight. Uh, and it just so happens that we're talking about a teenager. And uh, <clears throat> as we're going through the life of Saul, I mentioned earlier that we're going to have forays into David's uh, life too because the rise of David's star has so much to do with the fall of Saul's because David is his replacement. And so in Saul's failure, we really see a lot of David's ri uh, arising in, in his uh, what the Lord's bringing him up to. So uh, tonight we're going to look at 1 Samuel 17. If you know your Bible at all, you know that that is the Goliath chapter. David's battle with Goliath is one of the most well-known incidents of Scripture. In fact, even in the secular world today, uh, you'll hear it on sports commentators uh, or you'll hear it in boardrooms and people that have nothing to do with the Bible or God will talk about David and Goliath situations. Uh, in, in boxing or whatever it is, because it's so woven into our vernacular in our English language. Everybody knows what we're talking about when we talk about a David and Goliath situation. We're talking about an underdog. We're talking about somebody that uh, is going to take some work to topple. And so I know that, again, this is about Saul, but this is inseparably uh, unseparatable, related to Saul, who's the king of Israel at that time. All right, so he sent David into action against Goliath, which was irresponsible on his part. And so we'll look at both of them kind of as we go throughout this. Uh, but let's start reading in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shiko, or Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah in that uh, place that starts with an E. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel on the mountain the other side. There was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had an helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. Now, think about the, uh, the helmet of brass on his head. The, he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of brass. Think about the weight that he's carrying uh, around him there. Uh, and we're going to get into the dialogue between him and David, but that's where we're going to start tonight. We'll look at some other verses as we go, but... Let's ask the Lord to bless. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity. We pray tonight as we uh, try to get a lot fit in here, but I pray you'd help us to have something that specifically challenges us. In Jesus' name, amen. We look first at the villain. The chief villain in this story was the Philistine giant, Goliath. Uh, he was part of the Philistine army. He sa it says in verse 1 that the Philistines had gathered together to battle, uh, and Goliath was a member of that army. He was a soldier. Uh, David Gla Glader, maybe, I can't think of his name, but there's a man that he's a big leadership guru in our day today, and he's written a book about David and Goliath, and he talks about the fact, maybe you've seen it or read it, but he talks about the fact that Goliath had a some kind of chromosome disease, and uh, it was actually easy for David to beat him in battle because he had the, the, uh, the, the thing that Andre the Giant dealt with, the giant's problem, and uh, he would have been unable to be 
effective in fighting. That is not what the Bible presents at all. Goliath was a champion. They're not going to put some bumbling big oaf out there to challenge anybody in Israel. They're going to put the best of what they had. So Goliath was an elite fighting soldier. The army was the Philistine army. Uh, their home was in Gaza, and this is the strip that is on the western edge of Palestine. You still see him in the news today. Uh, the Philistines were a big thorn in the flesh to Saul. They, the, uh, his stupid decree, remember back in 1 Samuel 14, we talked about uh, when the, he could have destroyed the Philistines, but he gave that decree they weren't allowed to eat, so he weakened his army. Uh, and had he dealt with them then, they wouldn't be a problem now. It's a good lesson for us in our life. If we don't get victory over our evil in our life, over the Goliath in our life, if we don't uh, eradicate the sin in our life, it always comes back to visit us. We've got to get rid of it, get, get it out of our life or it'll come back. Now, it says, now the Philistines gathered. Now was a critical time for Israel. And Saul is having, we saw last week, he's having mental problems. He's going cuckoo uh, in his head. He's having uh, these seizures, he's having these spells, and he's... He's having a mental breakdown, and so it's a time, a bad time for Israel with, with their spiritual leader, or what should be their spiritual leader, uh, which was Samuel, but uh, he's kind of been shoved out of the picture by Saul. And so he's having the, worse than being separated from their spiritual leader, they're separated from God because of Saul's bad leadership. And of course, we can all identify with national leaders who are having mental difficulties. Uh, the Philistines knew about Saul's troubles. They would, of course. Uh, enemies are always aware of a national leader's weaknesses. Uh, we can see that in our day. I, I happen to believe with all my heart that the reason that Ukraine was attacked by Russia is because of the leader we had. I don't think had we went a different direction in the last election, I don't think they would be in that same problem because uh, other nations recognize weak leadership. All right, so the Philistine leaders are always looking for the right time to attack Israel. In the same way, the enemy of our souls, he knows also our weak spots. He knows how to exploit the things in our life and to take advantage of those things. So uh, we need to always be careful. We always have to have that healthy relationship with the Lord. Now, this is in Shoko. It's about 10 to 15 miles from Bethlehem where David lived, and it's about the same distance from Gath where Goliath was from. And there were two small, smaller mountains here with this valley in between. It says the Philistines were on one side, the Israelites were on the other. Uh, the, these hills were like the bleachers, and that valley was like the playing field. Both sides could easily see the duel, which was a good thing. God provided the perfect setting for what would happen next, because what's going to happen next would be unbelievable if you hadn't been there to see it on that day. That's one of those stories where you just had to be there and see what happens when this young boy or this young man takes on Goliath. So that's the army. Let's look at the attributes here of the villain. His heritage, the Bible says Goliath of Gath. That's what tells us about his heritage. He was a descendant of the famed family of Anak. They produced giants in the land of Canaan. These are the same giants in Numbers 13.28 that were seen by the spies that were sent in to uh, spy the land by Moses. Later, it, during Joshua's time, the Anakins were destroyed. But it says in Joshua 11.22, there was none of the Anakins left in the land of the children of Israel, only in Gaza, in Gath, 
in Ashdod there remained. And it was Gath that Goliath came from. Again, because Israel didn't completely wipe out the enemy the way they should have, years later the enemy came back to haunt them. And the same lessons there. I mean, I could repeat, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but we've got to deal decisively with our sin. We can't allow uh, it to remain. We can't allow remnants to stick around and make allowances for the flesh. We've got to just get rid of it in our life because if we leave a few sins unconquered in our lives, they're going to come back to haunt us because sin is like bacteria. It quickly reproduces until it is a Goliath in our life. And then when it's a Goliath, it's really hard to deal with. Okay, Look at his height. This is the most famous part of Goliath. Talk about his height. Of course, now Scripture says his height was six cubits and a span. And I went and got my tape measure, and I pulled out the tape measure, and it has inches, and it has uh, that broken down. It even has centimeters on the other side. I couldn't find the cubit mark. So cubits are measured different than we measure, and depending how you measure cubits, he could be anywhere from nine foot to 12 foot tall. And again, you read different historians and different commentators, you get different uh, opinions. Matthew Henry puts him at 11 foot, uh, 11 foot four inches tall. Uh, Ryrie puts him at nine foot nine, uh, which everyone is true. He was taller than I am. Amen. And we know that David was exactly my height because we went into detail last week how David had a beautiful physique. Remember that part? And so we know he was five foot seven. Now, today, Goliath would have been a basketball player, but that wasn't the thing then. He was a soldier, and he was a good one, and he was well-known for that. As great as in, and impressive as Goliath's height was, uh, this was not all that matters. We're going to see that. Uh, man needs more than physical height to win life's battles. Needs spiritual height as well. And there's this is the deal with David. Uh, spiritually speaking, David's taller than Goliath. Uh, he's more powerful than Goliath, spiritually speaking, where it counts. And then we see his hardware. He was armored with it a tremendous amount of hardware. Verses 5 through 7 talks about a target of brass between his shoulders. That's a javelin. He had greaves. That's shin guards of brass on his legs. Uh, he was like a walking tank in our present military terms. Uh, he would be very tall and very strong, but he would probably not be very fast he was carrying upwards towards about 150 pounds of armor on him, and uh, so he probably moved slow. He was dressed to intimidate just about as much as he was dressed to fight. Imagine this 10-foot-something tall dude stepping out across the Valley of Elah as the sun rose up. He's covered in brass, and as the sunlight hit that brass, he would have looked like some kind of metal-clad superhero. He would inspire fear in God's people, and that's exactly what happened. Now, oftentimes the world seems to be armored pretty impressively against God's people, against God's work. The world has its laws, it has its courts, uh, has uh, its activists that are against Christians, has other intimidating forces, and we can be discouraged very easily. Uh, e even, even looking at public schools and especially public universities in our day-to-day -day of how they pervert minds when it comes to God. But we are also not without our armor. The Bible talks in Ephesians chapter 6 about the armor of God, and that is the greatest armor of all. This was David's armor. Later we'll see that Saul tried to give him his armor, the armor he used to carry as his armor bearer. 
But now uh, David's like, I, I don't want that. I'm just going to go with what I know. And he went with much more than what uh, Goliath had because he had the armor of God. As a Christian, don't be intimidated by the world's impressive armor against us because it's not that great when we claim God on our side. And when God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? Don't give in to the, its peer pressure. Now, verse 8 and 9 Goliath uh, proposed that instead of the entire armies fighting it out, and of course then uh, it would be hand-to-hand combat, it would be brutal, it would be awful, many people would die. And so Goliath throws down this challenge, let's have a duel. And uh, we see a deceitfulness in his, in his proposal because he says, if you win, we'll be your servants And if we win, you'll be our servants. And yet, when David did win, they did not lay their arms and down and become their servants. That that was a a deceitful promise. And this deceitfulness, again, is a great picture of the deceitfulness of sin and of Satan. The devil is a liar. You cannot trust him. The promises he makes, he will never deliver on. The devil only works on a brochure basis. He has great brochures but he does not deliver on his promises. And so we need to never be trapped into those things. Uh, But it was also a defiance. Look at what he says. He says, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Now, this is a serious thing. Because if you compare verse 26 and verse 45, you find that to defy the armies of Israel was also to defy the God of Israel. And Goliath was ultimately defying God. May I remind you tonight that the enemy of God's people is also the enemy of God? We sometimes get really worked up as we watch the news and watch the world around us just seeming to go to hell in a handbasket. We get, we get worked up and worried about it. Don't, don't forget that God is in control. If we are God's people, The enemy of God's people are also the enemy of God. The attacks on God's people do not go unnoticed to holy God. It doesn't always have immediate repercussions, but God will get his say in the end. No man defies God and comes out a winner, ever. Look at history. You know, Pharaoh, he seemed to be winning for a while, but he didn't win in the end. He had a very soggy and muddy death with his army there. Uh, Goliath's army would not be able to shield him from the results of his defying God. Wouldn't matter how strong he was then, wasn't going to help him. Now, look at the duration. Uh, He drew near, it says here, morning and evening, and presented himself for 40 days. This period of time reveals the weakness in Saul's leadership. For 40 days, they don't do anything about By the way, who should fight Goliath? Do you remember a little detail that was given about Saul in the very beginning of this series? He was the tallest man in Israel, head and shoulders above every man. He might not have been as tall as Goliath, but the closest to Goliath's height would have been Saul. Would have made sense, and he was the leader. He should have probably been the one to go. But I suspect, just suspect, that everybody in the camp, everybody in the army agreed, somebody ought to go out and kill this giant. Somebody ought to get out there and take care of his this this threat. But have you ever noticed that the unpleasant necessities of life are somebody else's business? <laughs> you hope somebody else will go out and take care of the problem. Here you have a married man. He says, I can't go 
fight Goliath. I have a family. I have kids at home. I can't put myself at risk. Then there's older men in the camp. I'd go if I was a younger man, but I'm older now. I'm not going to be able to take on Goliath. Then you have younger men. I don't have the experience that the older men have, and so I can't go out. You have everyone. I'm sure everyone thought somebody should take care of it, but nobody did. And uh, some, no doubt, might even explain how the thing could be done. You know, if I hadn't hurt my back, <laughs> if I didn't have this problem, if I didn't have that problem, uh, I, I would go out myself. But God is looking for young people, especially, amen, that'll do the work, that'll get involved and do what he has for them to do. I think it's interesting, Saul had no remedy for uh, taking out Goliath. The only plan that he could come up with is to offer a prize to the soldier that would take care of it. Uh, here was his prizes, uh, included money, which was freedom from taxes for the life. That He said, no, have to pay no more taxes. That would be nice, wouldn't it? And marriage to Saul's daughter. And uh, so his prize that he offered, listen to this, riches, a woman, earthly prestige because he would be a son-in-law of the king. And uh, these were the prizes offered to motivate someone to do God's work. Earthly prizes for a heavenly mission. Remember, Saul is completely caught up in selfishness and worldliness. He's not thinking godliness. And so we saw this last week. He's just, he's stuck here on earth, and, he, and this is a pathetic plan of his, and it reveals a general spiritual problem in Israel, a specific problem in Saul. He resorted to carnal inducements to motivate people to do God's work. That's a tragedy when we see that kind of thinking today. Shouldn't what Christ did for us on the cross be enough to motivate us? We talked about that tonight in discipleship. Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth me. That's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me busy. It's the love of Christ. Um, but building a crowd in churches in this day and age is seldom done without some kind of carnal incentives. Whether it be music, whether it be some kind of programs. Uh, but we're not going to defeat our Goliaths that way. Might make for a nice crowd, might make for a good time. But if we really want to defeat the Goliaths in our life, it's going to happen through the power and the word of God, okay? So only when we're motivated by faith and godly integrity like David was, then we're going to see victory over our Goliaths. Look at verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now there's at least two reasons why fear filled the hearts of Saul and the soldiers. First of all, there is poor conduct. Saul had sinned against God repeatedly sinned against God. He offered sacrifice instead of waiting for Samuel. That was one of his big sins. And then he didn't kill the Amalekites like God told him to. This is 1 Samuel 13 and 1 Samuel 15. These two big sins was what caused God to turn his back on Saul. It cost him Samuel's fellowship and it cost him God's blessing and it cost him, as we know, emotionally too. Because once you start going down spiritually, soon you're going to start going down physically and emotionally as well. And here we see that the cost also included fear in the army, fear in Saul's life. Sin always brings fear. Sin never brings confidence. Sin never brings boldness and bravery. It brings fear into your life. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Amen? And Saul wasn't righteous. He was wicked, and that accounts for his fear here. 
If you want to be acquainted with fear, just walk contrary to God's will in your life, and you'll have all kinds of fear in your life. So there was poor conduct and also poor contemplation. The Israelites looked only at Goliath. They didn't look at God. Their sight was only horizontal. It wasn't vertical. See, when we're carnal in our life, that's all we'll do. We'll just have this horizontal view about things, just worldly view. Uh, it'll be carnal-type thinking. If all you look at is Goliath, whatever your Goliath might be, if all you look at is Goliath, of course you're going to fear. You've got to bring God into the picture. If you want encouragement in your life, if you want boldness, if you want courage, then look beyond your Goliath circumstance and see God in the mix. That's what David did. When David, when, when the people compared Goliath to themselves, my goodness, he's a monster. And when David compared Goliath to God, my goodness, he's a pipsqueak. There's a big difference by who we compare our Goliaths to. Ourselves, they're big, but to compare them to God, they're nothing. That's one of the reasons David succeeded. All right, we've looked at the villain. Let's look at the volunteer for just a few minutes here. It was only after David entered on the scene that Saul was able to get a volunteer, finally. And it was David. Uh, Saul had been taunting Israelites for about six weeks, and then David shows up on the scene. There's three descriptions I want to look at very quickly. In verse 12, it calls him the son of Jesse. He was the eighth and youngest son of Jesse. Jesse was a very respected elder, it tells us there, the man among men uh, for an old man in the days of Saul. And then in verse 15, it calls him a shepherd. He went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep. So last, where we left David last week, he's playing the harp in the palace. He becomes Saul's armor bearer and Saul's personal assistant. He stands with him. And then we find him going back to watch the sheep. It doesn't tell us the details, but obviously Saul no longer needed him to play for him and found himself a new armor bearer. So Saul, uh, David was demoted from working in the palace as the king's personal assistant and armor bearer to going back to dad's farm and watching the sheep again. But what's so impressive about David is exactly what he did. He went back and was faithful. Uh, it's hard to go back when, you're go when you've been up high to come back low, but David was faithful in all those things. Uh, so he took it in stride. And then third, verse 56 uh, look what it says. And the king said, inquire who this son, whose son this stripling is. I thought that was interesting. So he was called a, uh, he, he was first called a son, then a shepherd, then a stripling. Uh, now my question is, why didn't Saul know him? Remember, he had served as his armor bearer. He had been his personal assistant. In chapter 16, verse 21, the Bible says that Saul loved him greatly. And now I was like, who's this kid? That's, that's odd to me. I don't have the answer, really. I have some opinions. I think Saul is so incredibly self-centered. I think he's so selfish. He's so blinded by his own glory. He doesn't pay attention to who's around him. By the way, it's not a new thing for leaders of the land to not know the best people they've got under them. A lot of times they promote the wrong people. So uh, he, I don't know why he didn't know him, but that's, uh, this, this is highly insulting to me. Who is, who is this kid uh, to not even know who he was? This wasn't the only insult David faced. He also heard it from his own brother. Look at verse 28. Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. He said, Why camest thou hither? With whom hast thou left thine, th those few sheep? That's a dig. 
That's to let everyone around him know this. He's just a shepherd. <laughs> Who'd you leave your sheep with? And then, uh, I know thy pride, the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come that thou mightest see the battle. By the way, he's just mad still about being passed over for king. You can tell his attitude. Remember Eliab? Uh, he had, he had to stand aside while he watches his pipsqueak little brother be anointed as the next king of Israel. That was hard for everyone to take that day. David wasn't even invited to that little party. So it's interesting, though, David didn't retaliate to any of these insults, kept his cool, and his reaction to those insulting comments was very commendable. It's something we oughtn't skip over. In fact, this is what Matthew Henry said. This conquest of his own passion was in some respects more honorable than his conquest of Goliath. Think about that. I think that's absolutely correct. The fact that David didn't blow up when his brother taunted him, he kept his cool around Saul too, is the, uh, it, it was, was tremendous self-control. And by the way, you're not going to kill a Goliath until you control yourself. The Bible says it's easier to take a city to con than to control your own temper, essentially. And so we need to be careful. Uh, it's hard to take unfair criticism when all you want to do is the right thing. It's hard. Have you ever done that? Take an unfair criticism when all you're trying to do, you're just trying to do the best thing, you're trying to do the right thing, and people are critical about it. Uh, so this is, a, this is a tough thing, but David was faithful. All right? Though, verse 31, when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul. Saul's looking for volunteers. He hadn't had anybody yet, so he hears somebody's volunteering. So the Bible says in verse 31, he sent for him. David's examination comes next. I love verse 32. I laugh every time I read verse 32 because I hear a squeak in verse 32. I don't know why. Uh, I was reading it a few years ago, and I just heard a squeak when I read it. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go fight this Philistine. He's a youngster among soldiers, and he says, Don't anybody be afraid. I'll go out and fight this guy. This is hilarious uh, that, that David would be the one to go out there. You got soldiers standing all around, and here's his outsider. He's not in uniform. He's not been through boot camp. He's not been anything. He's been a shepherd. And he says, I'll go out and fight him. Now, David had done a lot of talking to Eliab and soldiers around him. Now he stands before Saul. It's going to be a little more difficult, but he kept his courage. He didn't talk just before the troops. He also was ready to perform before the prince. Some people talk really big until commitment's involved, <laughs> and then they kind of, not David, he, it wasn't talk, he was ready to back it up, and uh, this courage he had, we need talk dedication, yes, but we also need walk dedication to get behind it, David had both, he, so he passed the test of courage, he also passed the test of contempt, Saul said to David, thou art not able, this is verse 33, Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth, this second test was a contempt that Saul Showed for David successfully fighting Goliath. There's no way. And you can't really blame Saul. I mean, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to send a kid out to this marine or this, uh, the, whatever you want to liken him to today, Navy SEAL or professional fighter. So David already passed the test of uh, contempt from his brother da uh, Eliab, and he passed this one too. Saul said, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. Saul did not think David could do the job. Can I tell you, many will be the people who will tell us 
it can't be done. Whatever we undertake, it can't be done. I, I've heard it in different stages of this church's growth and, and building and different things we've done. It, it's just not going to be able to be done. And praise the Lord, we've seen him do great things through it. Uh, many are those who are going to throw shade on any type, type of, uh, of uh, noble venture we want to undertake. There's going to be people to stand by and try to discourage. Every great endeavor in your life will include overcoming discouragement. Every, every great endeavor, every great thing you'll do, is gonna, you're going to have to overcome some discouragement. David overcame Saul's discouraging remarks. Now, all this begs a question today. Is this just an ancient story? No. This is a picture of today. And it doesn't matter what you call or what your giant is. We all have a Goliath in our life that we fight at some point or another. It might be the giant of anger. It might be the giant of lust. It might be the giant of bitterness. And might be the giant to fill in the blank. There's all kinds of giants roaming our lives today. How many Christians in our in the church are imitating the soldiers of Saul's army? Afraid. Sit standing back. Afraid to put on the armor of God and go into battle. Afraid to take on their giant because of and cowering in fear. I might fail. You'll certainly fail if you don't take him on at all. Nobody succeeded in the 40 days until David showed up. It was all failure. But success is not gained only by wishing it or talking about it, of how somebody ought to do it, or how you might do it if this or that happened, or if, if this situation wasn't there. We just got to, with God's help, take him on like David did. I've told this story before. But I love this, the point it makes about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. And all I'm saying is be the somebody that gets the job done. Be the David that's willing to put on the armor of God, cast aside the armor of the world, put on the armor of God, get into the battle. You'll never defeat your Goliath until you claim God's power and get into the battle. All right, It's a part of it. And so be the somebody that gets that job done. We'll get into that battle next week, a little more detail. But I thought this was a challenge tonight about the setup and David showing up on the scene. Thank you, Father, for equipping us.